Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. I have a great podcast lined up for you today. I have an author and also a military veteran. Jared is an author of children's books. He's going to tell you about those children's books here in just a little bit. We're also going to dive deep into his story about how his experience in Operation Iraqi Freedom as a military veteran shaped how he writes his children's books and those stories. It's my pleasure to welcome author, veteran, Jared Zank to the Intentional Encourager podcast. Jared, what's good? How are you doing today? I am doing very well. I am honored to be on your show. This is a great experience. This is my second podcast, and I am loving all of all of this. This is this is great. It's so exciting. Thank you very much. Well, try being on the host end, man. I get to talk to really cool people like yourself, and and we get to have great conversations about life and what you're doing and things like that provide a lot of encouragement so yeah man it's 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 great it's great to have guests like you on this podcast so let's start here i know what the last 18 to 20 months have been like here in west virginia where i'm based take me through the last 20 21 months or so in your world and and what you've learned how different ways you've had to adapt but mainly your biggest takeaway from the last 20 months or so as we've been navigating through unusual times? Well, I tell you, it's been, I mean, for just like for most people, it's been very chaotic. And at the same time, it's been a blessing for me. Um, I was working for FedEx, um, had my daughter and um, my uh, at the time would have been a uh, year and a half, two-year-old son. And I was going to school at Ferris State, uh, working towards my elementary education degree and was just on track. I wanted to be a teacher and just being, you know, a dad and everything was going great. And then we had COVID. Um, I quit going, well, I had to quit work and quit going to school to stay home with my kids. Uh, my wife works in the medical field, so she was still going to the hospital, and I've been at home and, um, yeah, just working on stories um, and kind of doing a lot of praying to figure out what was going to be my next step after everything kind of settled down, and lo and behold, God works in mysterious ways. He he yeah. pointed me in the direction I was supposed to be going this whole time. And take, take, Jared, take me, yeah, take me through those conversations, if, if you don't mind to share those conversations that you had with you and your wife. Because here you are, you know, in January, February of 2020, you're going to school, you're working at FedEx, your wife's working. I mean, you've, you've got this train rolling in the right direction. You've got a plan, hey, I'm going to finish in this much time and then i'm going to make that transition from fedex into into elementary education 
it seems like you had that train rolling in the right direction and you guys really were moving full speed ahead with that plan. When things started happening in your wife, the, the, the greater demands were being placed on your wife. Take me through some of those conversations that you guys had. What was it like for you both to see all of a sudden those plans that you had just kind of come to a grinding halt? and make a new plan where you're now staying at home and being a full-time caregiver, which you, if I understand it right, you weren't doing that before. It was basically just a, you know, one of those line in the sand moments where this is, this is now the new course of direction. Yeah. And, you know, being military, prime military, it's like we, there's a plan of action and I like to have things like, okay, my day is planned out for work and then I take my pick up my kid from daycare drop them off to my parents go to school come back homework and then when daycares were closed schools were closed that trail that that train was off the rail and you know they say it, you have a plan if you want to hear God laugh tell them your plan that was our plan was to be finishing by this time and having my degree and start teaching my wife um, is a nurse practitioner, and so she was obviously for our home was the breadwinner, and she said, you know, I obviously can't can't leave my job. You stay home with the kids. We're gonna save some money actually by not having our son into daycare, yeah. and then when this all settles down, you go back and finish school. And we kind of saw no real clear end in sight, and. I didn't realize this, but she had a plan. She had been praying. She wanted to, to know what was going to be our next step because we had lost what little portion of income I was bringing in. We saved money by not having daycare, but at the same time, I wasn't working and trying to juggle online classes for myself, online classes for my daughter, taking care of a two-year-old that was, it was pandemonium and we just decided, she's like, no, I think you should just take a step back from school, focus on the kids. We'll figure something out. We'll, 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 we'll figure it out and we'll just pray about it. And that's what we did. And she has been just a, a big rock for our family, just the foundation for us, everything that things start to seem like they're going out of control. She kind of brings us back down to earth and says, hey, you know what? It's not, out of, it's not going out of control. It's going exactly to the way God wants it to. And we just have to roll with it and, and know that there's something greater that's going to happen. And it was quite the transition to go from, I have work, school, everything all planned out to now I'm staying home. I got to make peanut butter sandwiches for lunch, make sure kids are on the computer for yeah. their online classes, our naps getting taken, potty training, everything is just totally different, but we've rolled with it and we're in a routine now. So how is it, you mentioned your wife praying about the situation. When you're praying and seeking the Lord for direction in that situation, because I've been in those moments where life gets interrupted and now what you're used to doing, you're not doing, so you have to do different things. And, and it can be, and I don't want to be sexist with this comment, but for guys, we are very action-driven. We are 
go make it happen. Let's get it done. You know, a lot of times we're very pragmatic. And, you know, being in sales and running a territory myself, I know the importance of a plant. I understand, you know, I'm going to be here at a certain time and do this and then stay here and go hit there. You, you just find that rhythm of routine for you in those moments, because I remember what it was like when I was praying in my alone time and my wife and son were out of the house and I was there because I was looking for that next opportunity myself, a little bit different. But what were you praying yourself? Were you really seeking God for clarity or direction? Um, kind, kind of both. Because when you, man, I could, I could actually go back way farther even before that. Um, I mean, to start kind of from like the beginning, really, I've always had this belief that, um. I don't know what's going to happen next. And I have to realize and understand that things that happen for me for a reason, I have to pray to God to have the the understanding that he knows what's best. Kind of like a, like a parent, you know, you tell your kids. Yeah. Jared, let me jump in there. Jared, let me jump in there real quick. You, you're really, you're really taking that man. You're really, you're really going deep there. And, and I didn't mean to, to jump in there, but here's what triggered in my mind as you were saying what you said. Do you feel like your military career kind of sharpened the, the awareness of, I don't know what's going to happen next because I haven't been in battle like you have, but I've talked to enough people in battle and, and, and as a sports guy, I think of that quarterback or that, that receiver that always has to have their head on a swivel, right? Mm -hmm. You're always looking to see where the attack is coming from, where the pressure is coming from, where the rush is coming from. Did your mil did, Do you feel like your military experience, had you always kind of been wired that way? Or did your time in the military and what you saw on the battlefield, did it enhance that kind of innate skill within you yeah being being in the military is help like the there's a lot of i think pretty much all branches have the the overcome and adapt or adapt and overcome um prepare for the the worst and hope for the best and with being in the military you always have your your battle plan but obviously when you're going against an adversary, their battle plan is is different. And you go head on and just like you use the, the football reference, you're running back and you're going, your your play is to go up the gut, go up the middle, and you're looking for that hole. Barry Sanders, if he if that hole wasn't there, he bounced to the outside. He adjusted fire and he was going to the, you know, the next the, the next avenue of approach. And um that's how I've kind of lived since I've been in the military. I, I joined the military in 1997, um, right out of high school. Did um, six years active duty. Um, I was a mechanic. Didn't like being a mechanic. Um, decided I was going to get out, take a break, 
and I um, signed up to reclassify, change my change my job, change my um, MOS. Yeah, I wanted to be a medic. I wanted to be, I wanted to feel like I was up front helping. I felt like that's where I was supposed to be. Um, there was a waiting list for it, so I decided to take a break. I got out, waiting for them to call me to tell me, hey, we're ready for your slot to do your training. While I was out, I got a job, and shortly after the job, sorry, I, I was fired, basically released. And being military, you kind of have you 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 build this mentality of there's a rank structure, there's respect, there's um, integrity, and when you go from that to some civilian life, not everybody is military mindset. So it was kind of hard for me to adjust. Um, I lost my car, couldn't make my car payment. Somebody was kind enough to give me an old beater car. And then I was in a car accident. All these bad things kept happening. And finally, um, when we, I shouldn't say finally, but um, when after 9-11, we started going to war, I volunteered to go to Iraq. And um, anytime I hit a wall or something that was preventing me from trying to reach a certain goal. I always have little goals ahead of me. Something would stop me and I would have to adjust fire and move, move on. Um, like I said before, God works in mysterious ways because I go to Iraq and that's where I meet my wife. She's a veteran as well. So we both have that same mindset of you have a plan, you work towards it until you just can't really move forward anymore. And then you have to adjust fire and, and, adapt to your surroundings you mentioned you you had by the way you had me at barry sanders okay and forgive me i'm sorry that my Bengals destroyed your your detroit lions a few weeks ago that was we apologize for for that we we as a Bengals fan i've been on the other end of those multiple butt kickings so i mean you know it's you know, I, I know what that feels like. It's like, oh, man, do I get to watch that today? You know, you just got to just kind of rub your head. You just kind of, you know, it adds years to your life to be a Bengals fan. So, you know. It's, it's, for us, it's expected now. We we we're, we go in with the, the thought, of, oh, man, this we know this is going to go off the rails. <laughs> Everybody told us how bad Matthew Stafford was. Now we look at him for the Rams, and he is he's tearing up, tearing up the league over there. It's... Like, you know, I saw something. I saw something. Yeah, I saw something on NFL Films the other day. And, and we'll, we'll talk about this and we'll step aside and take a break. But I saw something on NFL Films. Everybody thought there was a ton of bad blood between Stafford and the Rams. And you're watching it. They're, they're playing each other as we record this. They played each other this past Sunday. And, I, and, the, and Stafford was mic'd up. And, and he went to guys on the Rams and he said, look, he said, I – you know, I miss you guys. I, you know, I wish you well. You guys are are playing your tails off. You saw in that moment the respect that Matthew Stafford had for some of his old teammates. He went to the owner of the, you know, the owner of the Lions made that trip. He went over and gave her a hug. Um, you just saw the real decent Matthew Stafford, the guy that that Lions fans had seen all those years play quarterback. That you, you know, for me, 
I kind of looked at Matthew Stafford a little bit differently. I'm like, man, that's a decent guy. That's a real yeah. decent guy. That's a guy that, you know, he could have he could have torched the bridges on the way out of Detroit. He could have said, hey, I'm going to a Super Bowl team. Peace out. You know, you guys do what you want to. But he didn't do that. And interestingly enough, neither did Sean McVay with Jared Goff. He could have said, hey, you know what, man? We we shipped your tail to Detroit. You know, we got a better quarterback. It, it just feels like that everybody in that moment where there could have been some bad blood, everybody handled themselves well. They showed a lot of integrity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, Jared. So, yeah, it was... And I'll tell you something, man. Dan Campbell is an easy guy to like. He's an easy guy to get behind. Um, he and, and Cincinnati's coach, Zach Taylor, go they'll go back. They coach together with the Dolphins. Um, and, and you heard throughout that week of, of Taylor's admiration for Dan Campbell. I feel like the Lions, and I'm not a Lions fan, but I feel like they've got the right guy. They just need to get a couple breaks that go their they way. They need get the that right thing. person in all. Yep. Yeah. So forgive us for, for taking it aside and talking football here, but you never know what's going to happen on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Let's step aside, take a break. When we come back. I want to talk about Jared's children's books and the places and, and the, the ways that he draws stories. You're going to love this part of the conversation. I, I promise you're going to love this part. Talking with author, military veteran Jared Zank here on the Intentional Encourager podcast back in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Jared, you mentioned before the break your elementary education background. You were studying to do elementary education Take me to the point when when you started really kind of focusing your mind on writing children's stories. Is that something that had always been in the back of your mind, or was it something that kind of fleshed out from your studies at Ferris State? Um, this actually, I believe this is a gift that I've had for a long time. Actually, I went to, on, on uh, this past Tuesday, I went to my old elementary school, Cedar Crest Elementary in Greenville. In second grade, my teacher, Mrs. Springsteen, standing, she, she was a huge advocate for reading and writing. And she always, it was kind of like her, her gold star mantra was, kids in my class in second grade were able to read 
at fourth, fifth grade level. Did you say she, Mrs. Springsteen? Yep, Mrs. Springsteen. So, so did you did you ever have a temptation to to go in there and say, you know, where I was born, Mrs. Springsteen? I was born in the USA. No. <laughs> You know, I can say I was born in the USA. Yeah, and in, in, in second grade in the in the eighties, ah, oh, I that would have been a that would. <laughs> yeah, man, you would have you would have been the goat of second grade kids, man. Yeah, yep, yep. And the but goat I, in a good way, the greatest of all time. Yeah, she probably would have loved it. She would have. She probably would have been like, oh, it's my favorite singer or, or something, because she was great. Or that's my cousin, you know, that's, that's my, that's my cousin. And, and, you know, you know, you, you never know how people are related. Yeah. Well, I, um, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm standing in the doorway and I remember this so vividly because I thought that she was crazy, but she said, you're a great writer. And I think you're going to be an author someday. I think you're going to, you're going to write, write a book. And, she thought maybe because I love to cook. She thought maybe it'd be a uh, a cookbook or some great action novel or something. But she said you're going to be uh, an author. And I went back to my old elementary school uh, last Tuesday and brought my book there. Of course, she's retired. I'm trying to get connected with her. Read my book to the kids, and they absolutely loved it. I had a blast there, but. How I got started actually really writing my stories was I tried to instill reading and writing in my kids, how important it is. And my daughter has a huge library and we would go to the bookstore and have her pick out a book. And she would look at a story and be like, now I like the pictures, but I don't like the story. Or mm -hmm. I like the story, but I don't like the pictures. And one day I just told her a story. She's like, dad, tell me a story. And I just told her a story about my childhood. Something happened and she loved it. So then I came up with some stories and started writing them down. And then after a while, just kind of watching her, I came up with stories, just less life lessons that I've watched her. And like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, that was, that was so simple. It's it's that's a children's book right there, and how to teach bravery, uh, courage, or sharing all this different stuff. And the first story that I wrote was Harlow saves a bumblebee, and all that was was um her in a kids' pool with her cousin, and the biggest bumblebee we've ever seen landed in the pool. Her cousin jumps out screaming. My daughter, three years old gets a little toy shovel, picks up the bee, puts it in our petunia bed. And I, Harley, weren't you scared of that thing? That was huge. She says, no, it was just a sad poor bumblebee. It was, it was drowning. I saved it. Wow. And I was like, wow, you know what? That took a lot of courage. And I wrote a story. Harley says it's a bumblebee. And um, one night she asked me how I met her mom. And I kind of went, kind of went like I was telling you. I got out of the army and had all this bad stuff that happened to me, and I turned that into a story and told her it, she loved it. And so I started writing these down. And my wife, who has been a huge supporter of of my writing, um, 
sent a copy of my stories to my aunt, who was an illustrator, and she's illustrated over 100 children's books. And my cousin, her daughter works for a company that gets kind of like subcontracted out to edit other stories. And she sent her a copy and said, this is what Jared's been doing. I just want to know what you think. And they both responded back. He needs to have these stories published. These are fantastic. These are better than anything that we have illustrated or anything that we have edited. And then she sent, showed me the email and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try this. And how's your I, mindset when, when you, because I've been in that moment when I wrote my book last year and, and you kind of bring your wife into it, but you know that it may or may not mean the same thing to her as it means to you, because you've been living with writing and, and creating and going through that whole process. At least for me, when I gave my wife, you know, she's like, okay, email it to me. I want to print it out. So my wife actually has the first manuscript before I ever sent it to the publisher to get it, to get it published and things like that. When you think about people being inside the the beltway, so to speak, or inside the business, your aunt, your cousin, and those are huge resources to have at your disposal. Your wife does this, she sends your book off and you get that validation. What does that do for you as an author? That, to know that they've seen so many books and to tell me that, it's, I feel it's like a big shining wake up call from God. Like I've been praying, you know, what, what path should I be on? What should I be doing? I know I'm great with my kids. I'm great. I wanted to be a teacher because I love kids and I love educating them and teaching them about, you know, some things that are, to some people are maybe useless knowledge, but for kids, you know, little things about learning where trees come from. I wanted to do something with kids and that, that plan of being a teacher was side railed. I still wanted to do something with kids. And then when somebody tells you your stories are great, you, you need to publish them. That lifts me up to an excitement level that I, I don't even know how to explain a motivation that, okay, people and now kids enjoy my stories that I'm just kind of, I didn't really think much about is more of just telling my kids stories and wanting them to be entertained. Yeah. People read these stories and say, Hey, this is really fantastic. It, it makes me feel like, oh, you know what? I, I found my calling. I found my yeah. groove, my niche that I'm supposed to be doing. And it really took a, a big, you know, snap your fingers. Hey, Jared, this is what you're good at. People have been telling you this and I'm now I'm pushing this in front of you to let you know, Hey, start doing this. I mean, how my story, the roughest day came out was my aunt telling me my um, cousin's daughter telling me, and then my wife reaching out to um, a coworker whose daughter is an artist. She reads my stories and says, I'm going to close out my Etsy account for now. And I want to illustrate your stories for you. All these people telling me this, it's like, 
God's putting these people there, there in front of me for a reason. I got to listen. And I'm, I'm glad I am because I'm, I'm enjoying this so much. I'm, I'm still being able to work with kids. Sure. Well, here's the thing. And, and again, everybody's process is different. Everybody goes through those moments. Was there a moment of misconception for you? And here's where, here's where I'm taking you with this. I, I've talked to so many people that said, and, and I had a friend that reached out to me last week and said, I want to write a book. I want to kind of pick your brain. That was me two and a half years, two and a half, three years ago when I reached out to somebody that had written a book and said, I want to pick your brain. And going through the process, I learned so many things that I thought would be easy and they weren't, or I thought would be harder than what they were. Did you have any of those misconceptions in your mind about being an author or writing your first book that you had to get past or overcome or those moments where you thought something was easy and it was difficult or you thought something would be difficult and it was easy? The right now, the, the biggest thing was the patience for this because, um, well, I guess there's been a couple of things. So the first one would be when my cousin did the edit on the book and you write all the stuff out and then somebody says, okay, you're going to want to change this. You're not going to want to say this. You're going to change that. And at first I thought, man, you're re that's really changing my, what my thought that I'm trying to get across here. And I had to step back and think, okay, they know what they're doing just listen to them. I changed it, read it back, and then realized the point that I was trying to get actually was clarified better yeah. by listening to them and going and editing. Like, oh, okay. Duh. Jared, I had that moment. I had that moment with a friend of mine. She, she, um, she said, hey, send me a copy of your book. She does publishing in Canada. And she said, send me your book. And the first thing she said was to me was, you're way too long. My first draft was 86,000 words. And she said, you've got to cut that in half. She said, you're expecting people to read a 300 to 350 page book. Most people don't have the patience for that. They don't have the, the time constraints for that. You want to be in that 40 to 45,000 word. And, and my book is different from a, a children's book. But man, that was the moment. I know what you're saying because for me, that was like, oh man. I've got to cut this story out. Well, which story do I cut out? Which way do I go? How do I say, you know, I, I've got a sentence that's 20 words long. How do I make it 10? You know, I, I understand that. For you, how was it for you to flip your mindset around the feedback that you were getting to make that story tell what you wanted it to tell, but also tell it succinctly and tell it with more clarity, as you just mentioned? Um, I had to really learn how to uh, use better descriptive words um, instead of using a few words to describe something. There's, you know, there's one word that you can describe a setting and or an action instead of saying certain things. And re also looking at doing my research and seeing just how long certain children's books are. My 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 book when I would lay it out was about 42, 43 pages. And most children's books are 32. After you start getting to 
too many pages in, that's when children start to kind of lose focus. Uh, they use too many words. They start to lose them. You kind of drone on. And you want not only to have a good story, but you're also kind of helping kids build vocabulary and use really good descript descriptive words and um, having a good flow in your story. All that, it's kind of just, it's kind of just like a regular book. If you have too much, you lose a flow. It starts to kind of feel like it drones on and your, your, your thought really isn't getting across and kids start to kind of tune out a bit. What, let me ask you this before we transition into your story. We'll take a break here in just a second. I want to ask you this. When, when someone picks up a copy of your book, and, and I want you at the end of our conversation to tell folks how they can get it, all the different avenues, things like that. When you have a parent pick up a copy of your book, what do you want them to know immediately when they make that decision to purchase a copy of your book? Um, well, I want them when they, when they read it, this is, well, the, I'll start with this. This is the feedback that I've got from a lot of parents. I've already sold way more books than what I really kind of go in, going in thought I was going to. But the, the, the feedback that kids love the book is phenomenal. But what really kind of shocked me was the feedback from parents who said, I actually can kind of relate to this. And I hope that when they get done with the story that they can kind of convey with, with kids that, you know, we have hard times. We go through hard times. You don't quit. You don't give up. You keep going. And also at the same time, have compassion for that fellow man who's next to you who's also having that hard time and be able to have that conversation and say kindness and, and knowing that there is a plan and that sometimes good things are ahead of for you. Just keep going. Don't ever give up and, and keep going for your goals and, and know that um, good is out there. And the parents that when they read this know that it's okay to convey into children that you're going to have a hard time things are not always going to be great. And I think sometimes as parents, we don't want kids to go through hard times. We don't want them to have bad days, but those bad days make us stronger and sometimes lead us to much better things. Very, very well said, Jared. Let's step aside, take another break. When we come back, we're going to tell Jared's story. He's alluded to it a little bit of how, we, how he got to Iraq and serving our country. I want him to kind of close the loop before and then after. You're going to love the rest of this conversation. It's an honor today to have children's author and United States military veteran of Iraqi freedom, Jared Zank, joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast back in just a moment. Hey, everybody. Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People. 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger, 
deeper and more powerful connector. You've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle, if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of People Buy From People. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Jared, let's dive into your story. Take me as far back as you want to go. You 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 dropped in some thoughts there earlier in our conversation, but kind of close the loop. Take me back as far as you want to go from point A to today and just kind of tell your story. And then I'll jump in with some questions around that, but just take a take a few moments and tell your story. Um, so the roughest day, um, I, that started because one day sitting in the rocking chair, holding my daughter, rocking her to sleep. And at that moment, I was so happy. I I felt just looking down and just realizing, you know, what a blessing I have in my arms. And then thinking, I just asked myself the question, like, how did I get where I am at? And I talked about this earlier, all these bad things that had happened to me. Um, I lost a job, lost my car, was in a car accident, volunteered to go to Iraq, um, couldn't go with the unit that I wanted to, ended up getting attached to a National Guard unit, and ended up meeting my wife. Met her, everything turned from really bad to started getting better and better and better. And all those bad all that stuff hadn't happened, I would have never met her. And she has been my biggest supporter. She has anything I've ever wanted to do. She's always said, you can do it. Just, yep. just go do it. You can do it. And so I thought about that story of how I got to where I was at. And then when my daughter asked me, you know, how we met, that's where I created the story about a puppy who has wants something really bad, wants to be loved wants uh, a family to adopt him and he decides he's going to set on this journey to find and get what he wants and along the way he gets distracted but he has the hardest time all these bad things end up happening to him over and over and over and when he thinks he's at his lowest point he looks up and then there's a little girl who is having obviously a very bad day she is just totally disheveled uh she's crying and he puts aside his bad day to show compassion towards her. He's going to try to cheer her up. She notices the same thing with him. They ended up coming together. They took care of each other. He finds a home. She gives him a home. And it's a happy ending. And that's kind of how I felt where, where, we, where I ended up with my family. I mean, pretty much the puppy was me. That was working to find that happy, that happy ending. That's kind of where I feel like I'm at. I mean, my life is still going, but I, I reached what I was hoping I would, I was, I would find. And it really took some 
some divine intervention to, to get me there, but I made it and I've had great support and great family now. Had you always wanted to be in the military growing up? Because you mentioned your second grade teacher and you mentioned, you know, that impact and that shaping of her on your life. Did you always feel like you wanted, you mentioned the structure of the military. Was that something that always appealed to you or did you find it a little bit later after you graduated high school? Because some people, they, they need that. They, they join the military and they right out of high school. Cause they say, look, you know, I want to, I want that structure. I need that. I have had a couple of guests on the podcast that are veterans themselves that said, I had to have the discipline and structure of the military. That's why I joined the military. What was it for you that drew you to, to, ch to chase that, that, thing for your life specifically that was i mean i i love the the structure i love the discipline i as a uh 18 year old i i think a, a lot of us needed that at that time um but i didn't have any clue of what i wanted to do i everybody seemed around me seemed to have an idea they were going to go to college for business they were going to go to college for nursing they were going to go to a trade school and be a plumber i had no clue what i wanted to do i knew what i loved i loved playing soccer i loved to run but i knew i wasn't good enough at soccer to get a scholarship i knew i wasn't fast enough to get a scholarship but i loved to do that and i was athletic but i wasn't disciplined enough to train hard to go to that next level and I had no clue what I wanted to do and my stepbrother he was in the military and I saw what it kind of did for him and I thought you know what military is a great career you you go in you it's basically the civilian life they have all the jobs the civilian has but more discipline um job security you have food shelter clothing pay, everything is taken care of. And I thought, you know what? I can do this until I figure out what it is that my niche is, what it is that I really want to do. And when I got in, I, I loved it. I wanted to stay in. I wanted to be in as long as I could until I could retire. And that's at that point though, going to Iraq and meeting my wife, I knew she had bigger goals than what I had. And yeah. I said, I'm going to support you. That's fine with me. I, I ended up getting out working construction and helped her get through, through nursing school. And she's continually moved up and I've watched her and helped her meet her goals. I just, that still for me, it was really hard to try to find out what my niche was going to be, what I wanted to do. Jared, I've got to ask you this because this is kind of just resonating in my mind. I know guys that have that have gone to Iraq. Some guys are more open about talking about their experience there. And again, I would encourage you if you're listening to this podcast, go back and 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 find my episodes with Eric Conavalov with Pasha Palanker, those guys that have gone to Iraq and come back and their experiences there. Um, we're working on having a guy that I go to church with that had a very different Iraqi experience and some of the things that he had to overcome. But Jared, I'm always interested because you've mentioned in this conversation, the big takeaway was meeting your wife. 
and, and and having that that be a blessing from something that could have been life altering in a different way. And I hope I'm making sense with that question. I I don't want to go too deep if you don't want to go there. But how did serving in Iraq change other things about you, maybe your personality or your life? Um, because, man, to be perfectly frank, you were seeing things that you've probably never seen before or probably will never see afterwards. How did that shape you, change you in some way? That A lot of that changed me, I believe, for the better. Um, going over there, everybody kind of has a different mindset of what, what they're supposed to be doing when they go over there. Um, I felt in my mind... We were there to help. There was so many interactions I had with civilians there that appreciated us being there. Um, there was Iraqis on our posts that worked with us and the conversations with them. It was it was one that I felt a lot of pride trying to help these people overcome situations that they had been in under their, their previous regime. Um, there was on our on our post. We were on Altacatum. We had young men there that were orphans because of the uh, Saddam's guards, you know, going through. And if they felt like somebody was going to try to do a coup or um, didn't support his regime, their family was killed. And I actually actually I coached a soccer team over there that had um, a quite a quite a few orphans, or they were older, but they were still orphaned um, because they lost their, their father, their uncle, their parents, whatever. And being able to see what they go through, see the state of that country coming back here, knowing just what great of a country we live in, the freedoms that we have, not to try to take anything for granted, knowing yeah. that we have solid roof over our head. We can go to a store that's stocked full we can chase our dreams. We can say what we want and knowing that people might not like it, but we're not going to be taken out back and executed for it. Yeah. To be, to be blunt. And, and that really opened my eyes to know that if there's opportunity, you got to take it because not many people get opportunities to do, to, to do what they want, to, to chase what they want. Man, I love that. And I'm writing this down. If there's opportunity, take it. I love that. Jared, I just got a couple more questions I want to ask you real quick. You've been so gracious with your time. I've loved this conversation. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. Take me through the biggest obstacle that you've faced in life and the biggest lesson that you've taken from that obstacle. For me, it's been, I've always struggled with confidence. I mean, it, and that sounds strange, but could being in the military, you, you're supposed to build your confidence. You know, you follow the plan, things are going to work out. Um, I always had a leader and I, we, we do what the leader says, things are going to work out going on my own. I know I'm no matter what I'm going to do, I'm going to keep moving forward, but the confidence in, in, um, I guess, knowing that I'm doing what's right 
is sometimes it, it, it gives me anxiety because I'm like, yeah, with, with like for my book, for example, um, I know what I want to do with it mm -hmm. and know the direction I want to take it. Um, but sometimes there's that doubt of, is this going the right way? Is this doing what I want it, want it to do? And that lack of confidence is where I really try to fill in the void with, with God, knowing that I can't do anything in this. It's with him, you know, we can do all things great with the strength that God gives us. And that's trying to remember that going back to him is, is always kind of sometimes a struggle. No, I love that. And, and, you know, if I could kind of put a bow around that, that part of it, it's remembering that God is in control and, and, you know, Jared, I've struggled with that too, with this podcast, because you think to yourself, man, I'd love to have this many downloads, or I'd love to have people, X many people following me and things like that. And realizing that all the ways, and there are a lot of great people that have great ways to build platforms, but God can do more in a snap of a finger than we can do in decades of time. You know, God can take us places that we never dreamed we could go. And so I love, I love that. And that's the note that I wrote down, remembering that God is in control. So piggybacking off of that, share with me your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. Um, I think never quitting. That's, so this is, this is something that I, I, that resonated with me yesterday. And I was thinking about this podcast, something I wanted to, to make sure that I, I got out. I coach my daughter's uh, eight and under soccer team and the Tigers, these girls are the smallest team in our whole AYSL. And the smallest girl on our team, Olivia said something and it's when I heard this and she says it all the time. And for whatever reason, yesterday, it just it echoed in my head. And I was like, why this is a seven-year-old is saying this. And it's great. Even though we're the smallest team, never give up, never quit. If you quit, we're going to lose. And this came from a seven-year-old. And I think so many people, they start feeling bogged down. They start feeling like they're losing. And they kind of just go into a shell and they back off and they start to quit. And she said this, and I was thinking, oh my God, a seven-year-old has got this mentality. I need to keep this going in my head. We, we haven't won a game, but we're always close. And they, are, they make it hard for the other team to score. They're the smallest but they are aggressive and they're fierce and they never quit. And then she said that at the end of her practice, we always put our hands in the middle. Okay, Tigers, what do we want to say? And she never quit. Don't give up. And like, that's people just have to remember there's, there's always something better. If you keep going forward, if you stop where things are rough, they're always going to be rough. You keep moving forward. You're going to find the better. Now that kid is an intentional encourager. 
That yeah. is that kid's an intentional encourager if I've ever heard one. Jared, man, this has been awesome. Tell folks how they can get a copy of your book. Tell folks how they can connect with you because again, um, you parents out there, you're you're definitely. Hey, Christmas is coming up. Uh, hello, this is be great stocking stuffers, great things to get your 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 young kids. I'm already thinking about my nieces and nephews. So, Jared, tell folks how they can get a copy of your books and and where they can connect with you. Yes, they so and this does fit in a stocking. I checked, and it doesn't take batteries. And it's not loud and, and it's, your kids are going to be, it's going to help them read. They're going to learn a lesson. And that's what we always get books from my kids because you put, you put the toys away, you pick up a book and you read. So my book right now is on Amazon. Um, it was for a couple of weeks, it was actually number seven, um, for the, on the new release list. So that was awesome. I never thought it was going to reach that, but it's on Amazon. It's called the roughest day. And then I also have um, a author Facebook page. It's my first name, uh, J-E-R-E-D-Z-A-N-K. And it's a public page. So you click that up and it brings up the cover of The Roughest Day. And all my new stories that are coming out, I'm going to keep updates on that page. And there's also links on that page as well that will take you to the Amazon page um, to where the book is. Um, it's, it's the, the positive feedback that I've got from parents. It's been amazing. The kids love it. It's, it's got a great story. Um, the, my illustrator, Allison Odrin did phenomenal job on the illustrations. The big shelter. She's been phenomenal. She's doing my next story. I already sent me pictures and I love them. This book, kids are going to love it. They're going to love the next books that are coming after it. There's a whole series and if you get on Amazon, leave a review, and I hope everybody just enjoys it as much as I did writing it. Man, that is so cool. Go to Amazon.com and search The Roughest Day, Jared, J-E-R-E-D-Z-A-N-K. Maybe you have to put the, you know, put The Roughest Day in there. And, you know, I would, I would suggest maybe putting Jared's name in there, too, as well. That way you go right to his book. Jared, man, this has been so cool. I've really enjoyed getting to know you better and, and, and having this conversation with you today. Thank you for joining me on the Intentional Encourage podcast. Thank you very much. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.